When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning to you on this Monday morning on what is certainly a much cooler day than it has been of late. And to see the temperatures today, 12 to 15 degrees Celsius, I was calling out temperatures of between 12 and 15 up to 18 degrees for nighttime temperatures over the last few months. So there certainly is a very sharp dip in the temperatures. I met Aaron a warning that much cooler weather is on the cards for the country over the coming weeks. I mean, over the weekend, certainly on Saturday, there were some areas that saw temperatures up to 22 degrees on Saturday. So it's going to be a very different picture across this week. There's this low pressure that has moved in and it's going to be the dominant uh, feature for our weather for the foreseeable future. So it is the winter hats and scarves and gloves and your winter woolies. Get them all out. John Paul is back taking your calls this morning after his little break. 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp the programme as well to 86 And looking at the papers this morning and looking at the photographs of Rory McElroy, they are absolutely heartbreaking to look at. He just could not hide his upset and his disappointment yesterday, even though he won his uh, singles match. And there's uh, some great photographs of Shane Lowry trying to uh, console a very downbeat Rory McIlroy. And I watched his post-round interview and it was difficult to watch, I have to say. My heart absolutely broke for him. And it really showed, I think, what a great team player Rory is and how the the European team for the Ryder Cup and I'm sure it's probably the same for the Americans but that team, the European team just bonded so well and they were just all absolutely gutted and of course it was such a convincing win but at the end of the day if you watched it over the weekend the Americans were just the better players and they just seemed to get every single break going every long putt just seemed to go in for the Americans and the poor old Europeans just couldn't cut a break at all. It was actually it was agonising in parts yesterday to watch the singles matches normally for the Ryder Cup on the final day particularly if it's close which is what the way you want it to be you just don't want it to end but yesterday I was just willing the matches to be over so that we could put everybody out of their uh, agony so here's to the the next Ryder Cup which is going to be next year isn't it it's in Rome 
uh, in uh, Italy and then it will be back to the States and then it's did I see is it 2027 it's when it's in a dare manner it's coming back to Ireland and that's the one that we would all be looking forward to so as I say heartbreaking photographs of Rory McIlroy he just literally could not hide his uh, disappointment and then a picture of absolute fantastic joy that's making a lot of the uh, papers and it's a picture of Dan Tim O'Sullivan who's a man from an area in County Kerry called Kells and it's a picture of him in London. He received the freedom of London back in 2019, but obviously with all COVID restrictions and all of that, he wasn't able to toast the honour. So yesterday was his day to really celebrate the fact that he was given the freedom of London. So he brought a herd of sheep through the English capital yesterday. And obviously, that's just... I think people so want good news stories at this stage and everybody wants to see good news stories on the papers with everything we've been through in COVID and it's just such a joyous uh, photograph and Dan Tim O'Sullivan is the founder of the Danny Sullivan Group and anyone who's ever worked in buildings or on the buildings in London will be well aware of Dan Tim O'Sullivan and his company they currently employ more than 1,500 people and he got this award of the Freedom of of London in recognition of the success, his success as a businessman in London, but also he does amazing charity work both in London and also in his native county Kerry. And when you become a Freedom of London, it allows you certain benefits. And one of the benefits is that you can shuttle your sheep across London Thames on London Bridge. Now, obviously London Bridge and traffic and all of that, they couldn't close down London Bridge to let our Dan Tim O'Sullivan herd his sheep across. So instead they used the Southwark Bridge uh, instead. That was used uh, yesterday and he was one of a number of freemen of the city to take part in yesterday's uh, celebration. And seemingly the tradition stems back from medieval times when sheep farmers were drove their livestock across the Thames to sell them in market. Anyone who was given the title of freeman of the city were allowed to cross the bridge without having to pay a toll. So it's one of those old uh, traditions. But he was speaking on Radio Kerry and he said he was just absolutely delighted with the event and that his family and his friends from both sides of the sea had all come to London for it. The cousins had even come back from uh, America and he's planning on having a huge party. Now the COVID restrictions have been lifted uh, to Mark the occasion, but it's just, it's just one of those joyful uh, pictures. And Dan Tim O'Sullivan looks every inch the gentleman. He is in top hat and tails as he's herding his sheep in London. As I say, it's if you buying papers today, uh, you will spot it. Eighteen fifty at three 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 one zero three. We're going to in a couple of minutes be speaking about this extra bank holiday. It seems the government plans for the extra bank holidays are at an advanced stage. We're in to find out a little bit more about it. But the question that we're putting out to you, the listeners this morning, when would you like to see this edition of Bank Holiday? Now, it looks like it's going to be before the close of the year. So would you have a particular date in mind? Would you like to have it sometime in November? I've heard one person say, why not tag it on to the October, the October Bank Holiday weekend, which is the last Monday in October? And tag it on and have the Tuesday so you'd have an extra, extra long 
bank holiday weekend would you prefer to have it sometime in November or another suggestion has been made is is to we have two bank holidays over Christmas we get Christmas Day and St Stephen's Day and of course we have New Year's Day uh, as well uh, those days in between people have to take holidays some are saying put it in there so that you would have the 25th 26th and 27th an extra bank holiday over Christmas so your thoughts uh, welcomed and will it be enough it's in recognition of the work done by uh, frontline workers but of course it will also recognise everyone who went to work during the pandemic and I think in particular it will also remember all of those who died during the pandemic but will it be enough to satisfy the frontline workers we've already had the nurses and midwives uh, the INMO, they've already put in a claim they are looking for 10 days extra annual leave. So I don't know, offering them a bank holiday for everybody in the country, I don't know if that's going to satisfy frontline workers. Your thoughts welcome. So we've already mentioned we could be getting an extra day off before the end of the year because of the pandemic. Plans for an extra bank holiday are said to be at an advanced stage uh, with efforts underway to try to get it either in November or December. Adam Higgins is political correspondent with the Irish Sun newspaper and Adam joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning, Patricia. Adam, is it just a matter of deciding on the date for this bank holiday at this stage? Yes, it seems so. This is part of the government's plans to uh, to thank key workers and, and everybody uh, in Ireland for their efforts during the pandemic when it comes to adhering to restrictions and keeping the country moving during the lockdowns. Now, there's two strands to to those um, kind of big thank yous that the government are giving. One of them is this one-off uh, extra bank holiday before the end of the year, and that's in a bid to thank kind of everybody across the country. And then there's going to be more sector-specific um extra pay and extra uh, holiday days for next year that's likely to be aimed at frontline healthcare workers but there's other sectors such as the Gardaí and the transport unions now looking for their slice of the pie as well and rightly so. Will it be a a once-off or does this become an extra annual bank holiday? So as far as I understand it, the, the one that we're speaking about today that, that is likely to be coming in the end of November or early December will be a once-off bank holiday. But as we know, Ireland is well below the EU average when it comes to the number of bank holidays we have a year. We've got nine here, whereas the average in the EU is 11, with some countries having much more than that. So the government do want to balance that out. But what I understand is this will be a once-off and then we could get another bank holiday sometime in February next year. And that would then become an annual bank holiday, although those plans are still at a very early stage and it's this once-off one in November that, that looks likely to be announced probably in around Budget Day. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Would you think they'll hold it for Budget Day as a kind of a good news story for Budget Day? I do indeed think that that's what they're likely to do and I think that along with that... Uh, Bank holiday announcement on Budget Day, I think we're probably going to see as well the announcement of what sectors of the frontline workers and key workers get this extra pay or extra holidays. Now, those are two big sweeteners that are coming in the budget, so you'd be concerned about why or what they're sweetening us up for and will there be added tax in order to pay for these things? Because we know that the, the frontline worker bonus of 10 days holidays, which has been on the table now for the past couple of weeks, that's going to cost us in and above 500 million euros. So the government does have to find some way to pay for all this. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm spotted the GRA are out uh, today, the Gardaí, and I know the Association of Sergeants and Inspectors have already written to the commissioners. So the guards are lining up saying that they want the bonus, as you've mentioned, the buses and train drivers. Uh, and whenever we mention it, we're always hearing from retail workers saying we worked right throughout the pandemic. Is this going to be an absolute nightmare to sort out who gets what and how much does everybody get? It does seem like it's going to be a bit of a minefield. Your listeners might remember, I think I was on the show discussing it with you before. In the middle of the pandemic, in around, I think it was the second lockdown, um, Labour leader Alan Kelly stood up in the doll and he proposed a €1,000 once-off cash bonus for healthcare workers specifically, so frontline healthcare workers in hospitals, the likes of nurses, healthcare assistants and doctors. That was in the middle of the pandemic when a lot of other countries, such as the UK, uh, Canada and France, had already put forward and, and given paid their, their frontline workers. And I think the government may have missed the trick by not jumping on that situation. The government said they wanted to wait until we were out of the woods with the pandemic and then they would assess how we would thank people because they thought it was too early to start thanking people because we were still in the middle of this situation. But had they gone ahead with Alan Kelly's proposal then, Maybe we wouldn't have seen the likes of you know uh, other sectors jumping forward saying, look, where, where's our thank you and that sort of thing. Because I know at the time there was kind of a, a sense around the country that people would have given nurses and doctors their, their right arm to keep them in the hospitals, to keep them working because it was such a dangerous and difficult time. And I think now we have seen uh, that kind of mentality has kind of drifted and, and now people are looking towards, well, where's my piece of the pie? And I think rightly so. When you look at the guards who had to police these rules that were brought in, that they didn't want the police, they didn't want them in, but they were necessary at the time, and they had to go out and do that and, and work those um, big patrols that we saw across the countries, the roadblocks and that sort of thing. You look at the key workers, as you mentioned, in the shops, such as you know the supermarkets, they kept everything going and, and, and kept us fed throughout the pandemic. And then you look at even some of the restaurants that managed to stay open and do takeaway deliveries and that sort of thing and, and kept us looking forward to something at the weekend. I think... Those sort of people are right to jump and say, well, look, where's our, our pandemic bonus? And the government, I think, is trying to placate that by introducing this new bank holiday and say, this is what, this is you guys have worked hard, this is for you guys. But there is still talk of this situation for healthcare workers. And I know a lot of the other unions, the likes of the Gardaí and the transport unions, will say, well, where's, where's ours, you know? And I think they're right to as well. And it's going to be a minefield for the government figuring out how to get by that. And we know it's coming up in the budget, so there's only weeks left to decide how and what and who gets paid. And we'll all have to be paid back, as you say, at uh, some stage. The 10 days, though, for the nurses. I mean, if they do give the 10 days to the healthcare workers and then the knock-on will be the guards will want it, the bus drivers will want it, the train drivers. It, at this stage, is that a runner? So the 10 days was something that was floated in initial files that were put forward by uh, healthcare unions in uh, early negotiations with the HSC that went, ended up going to the Labour Relations Commission. So those 10 days were floated. The government was kind of leaning towards a cash bonus because I think the situation, if you give uh, all of our healthcare workers, and in particular our hospital workers, 10 days extra after a, off a year next year, we know that our hospitals are already critically understaffed. So someone will have to cover for those 10 days, which does cause an issue. Now, that situation is on the table, but I think as far as I can understand, it would be an either or. Healthcare workers will be able to take the 
10 days extra or they could be given a cash bonus option so they could take you know a, a non-taxed bonus from the state that a once-off sort of payment instead of that now that's that situation is going to be difficult and you're right the Gardaí have already said the, the Gardaí unions have already said uh, look we, we want their slice we kept working throughout the pandemic the bus and trade unions have already filed their uh, their claims for extra pay and extra time off and it's going to be a difficult one for the government to manoeuvre now over the next couple of weeks yeah, and, and certainly even t- looking at healthcare workers, how do you decide who in the hospital and within healthcare gets it? Because I think it was even Leo Varadkar was making the point that some within healthcare, through no fault of their own, their section may have closed down, they didn't get redeployed and there were some people in healthcare who didn't work frontline during the pandemic. So it's going to be hard to even work out who gets it and who doesn't. That's it in will, just yeah. one sector. 100% as well. And I mean, and then you, a lot of people, when they talk about healthcare workers, talk mainly about this front line being in the hospitals. But there's also the GP and community nurses around the country who kept visiting people's homes yeah, or yeah. nursing homes and situations like that. And then how do they handle it when it comes to um, agency staff that we know we rely on so so much in our uh, hospital system in particular and our community healthcare system, the likes of nursing homes. So we rely on those agency staff, but they're not employed by the state, so the state can't give them an extra 10 days off. What do they get? And and they're right to say, like, well, we want something. Our colleagues that are in the public sector got this. Why don't we get anything? And then it'd be a difficult situation, I think, for the government to get into negotiating with, you know, private companies or private unions and that sort of thing. So I think this is going to be a tough one, but I think it's one... Like the government has to, it's, it's hard work, but it's work that the government has to do because, rightly so, all of these groups that we mentioned across healthcare workers, the Gardaí, the shop workers, the transport workers, I mean, they do deserve something. I mean, they went in and put themselves in harm's way when the rest of us were, you know, able to work from home. Yeah, okay. Well, let's celebrate the good news. We're getting a bank holiday. Have you a preference yourself, Adam, as to when you'd like the bank holiday? I think uh, the first week of December would be very helpful to get all that Christmas shopping done, wouldn't it? (laughs) You mean you won't have it all done by the first week in December? (laughs) Obviously not. I'm more of a Christmas Eve person. (laughs) All right, Adam. Listen, have a good day. Thanks for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. Adam Higgins there. He's a political correspondent uh, with the Irish Sun newspaper. It's a huge reaction on uh, this. Uh, Liz says, Hi Patricia, it's great people are going to get money or holidays for all the work that they did during the COVID pandemic. But where's the government going to get the money to pay everyone? Will our sons, daughters and grandchildren, will they be the ones paying this for the rest of their lives? Hi Patricia, you're talking about an extra bank holiday. The extra bank holiday is it only for hospital workers? Not everyone can get normal bank holidays off. I know as I work in a supermarket and in any other type of jobs, people have to work on bank holidays. The only people I can see that will benefit from this are the builders. So a bank holiday is no good. We need to have something that will benefit all of the people of the country. Well, I think, yeah, absolutely, there are cohorts that have to work on bank holidays. I accept that. But I think what happens is on a normal bank holiday, if you have to work, you either get double time for it, isn't it? you get a day off and lose so that way that the thinking is that everybody will will benefit. Uh, another different Liz says let's have the last weekend of November is the date that Liz would suggest for the bank holiday. Stephen says hi the best option would be give free entry for 2022 to sporting events or musical festivals to frontline workers. Let that be their thank you. The Gardaí by, way, by the way says Stephen should not be included in any bonuses. They're paid to do a dangerous job anyway. 
working through a pandemic was just part of that. Mick says, I work for a big bus company that worked all throughout COVID-19. We, we've always worked bank holidays, so it won't work any dif- won't make any difference to us. I really don't mind anyway, says Mick. I'm just glad that we ha- I had a job right throughout the pandemic. Let's remember people who lost jobs, which is a good point. Thank you for that, Mick. Uh, Micah says, re-bonus frontline workers. It would make more sense to give all of those workers a tax credit for a couple of thousand euro. That would be a financial benefit to them. It would indeed, uh, Michael. Hi, Patricia. On my work diary, the October bank holiday weekend is the 25th. And when I Googled it, it was the same. And people are saying it's the 31st, which is it, please? It's the 31st. It's it's always the last Monday in October. So I don't know why. I know there was a problem a few years ago with diaries and they had a wrong date on. I don't know. I don't know if that's it. Is if is the twenty fifth the Monday as well? And the thirty first. It's the thirty first anyway. It's always the last Monday in October, regardless of the date. That that's how you work out when the October bank holiday uh, is. Uh, what about all the self employed and the farmers? Do they get bank holidays? I think not. And finally, there should be no payment for anyone. Surely the extra bank holiday should suffice as a thank you for everyone. How greedy people have been have become. Uh, I'm just glad to be alive. Thank God, and I survived the pandemic. Says. This listener, and of course, also the idea of this extra bank holiday would be to recognise all of the workers and to recognise everybody who came through the pandemic. But also, it'll be a time to reflect. I remember those who died during the pandemic and uh, who sadly didn't make it. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. Text to WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And thank you to a huge number of people who've texted and WhatsApps to, at WhatsApp to point out the listener who said that the October bank holiday weekend is the 25th, but when they Googled it, they were saying that the bank holiday was the 31st and I said it's whatever the last Monday in October is which I thought was the 31st it's not the last Monday in October is the 25th so the October bank holiday is the 25th the 31st is a Sunday which means the children will go back after their midterm then on the 1st which will be the Monday so it is October bank holiday is Monday the 25th glad to clarify that I didn't have a calendar in front of me that's what confused me now last week we discussed the proposed closure of the Onakara Centre in East Cork and the effects the closure will have on the 19 residents who live there but there'll also be a knock-on effect for people with mental health difficulties right across the East Cork region to see this centre close somebody who very much knows about this issue is local Green Party councillor Liam Quaid who is is also a clinical psychologist who works in adult mental health services. Good morning to you, Liam, and you're welcome to the programme. Good morning, Patricia. Um, I must just point out that um, I am a psychologist working in adult mental health services. I have worked in in those services for eight years, um, but I'm speaking in my capacity as a public rep for the East Cork area this morning. Um, I, I don't work in the Middleton area. Okay, but uh, so. but but I'm just I'm interested from a psychologist's point of view what the closure of a centre like this from a therapeutic point of view what mm-hmm. it will mean to the residents. Yeah. So just for any of your listeners who may not know, very briefly, the Onacora Centre it's a multi-purpose facility for people with severe and enduring mental mental illness. Um, as you said, it's currently home to 19 residents. And crucially, it's the only HSE long-stay adult mental health facility in East Cork. 
And excuse me, prior to COVID, it was our only adult mental health respite facility. And it has provided essential placements for people within a vast catchment area of around 93,000. That's the population served by the Middleton Yall and the Cove Glenville adult mental health teams. Um, there's also a day service there. Um, so it was the, the facility was originally set up uh, in the late 80s to accommodate and provide rehabilitation for people who may otherwise have been placed in institutional settings such as Our Lady's Hospital in Cork. So just to give you a sense of the level of, I suppose, challenge experienced by this client group, um, people with severe and enduring mental illness, typically, you know, they experience the most debilitating levels, <coughs> excuse me, of distress of any client group attending our mental health services. So their distress can take the form of extreme anxiety or very entrenched kind of depressive or psychotic conditions. Um, some people with this level of difficulty can live independently or with family um, support, but others will need residential placement and sometimes lifelong residential placement. Um, people with this level of difficulty will often experience impairment in their daily functioning. So kind of activities that you or I can take for granted, they may have great difficulty pursuing. Um, sustaining involvement in training or employment can be, can be um, an immense challenge. You had a, a family member on last week, Patricia. Mary. Who, uh, Ma- Mary. Heartbreaking listening to her talk about a relative in their 25 years. This is, uh, Onakura is home to this lady. Absolutely. And I think what was, um, what was really striking was the journey that she described of, of her relative who came from an institutional setting. So this was a progressive move back in the early 90s. <clears throat> but despite, I suppose because it was such a huge change in her life, you know, she, Mary talked about how it took it took her relative a very long time to develop comforts, you know, with staff and to to have ease with going into town. It actually took years to build up that level of of kind of fluency and 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 I suppose over time, but over a very long period of time, and with really sustained therapeutic support, she has become a very active member of the local community. I suppose in the absence of of you know very specialised support. People with this level of difficulty are very vulnerable to homelessness, self-neglect, addiction, and a range of other risks to their mental health and safety. One of the other family members who who has shared their experiences, um, she, she spoke about the closure as being a life or death issue for their family. She she talked about her relative experiencing homelessness, uh, multiple suicide attempts, and general instability uh, for many years. Goodness. Um, so people and do do we know? I mean, I I know there is a bit of hope, not hope, but a bit of light. I can't even say light at the end of the tunnel. There has been a stay put on. It's not going to now happen on the thirty first of October. Yeah, and I suppose we all have mixed feelings about that um, because, on the one hand, you know it's good that there appears to be some flexibility, but from the Oireachtas meeting that last week, it appears that that's really around not having placements for some of the residents, as opposed to a change in the service plan. Um, and I think what we really need to avoid now is a prolonged further period of uncertainty, which, you know, will, will just heighten anxiety for residents and family members. We really need certainty now on the future of those services. There's just something else I, I just wanted to mention with regard to the clinical significance of all of this, Patricia. Um, people with this level of psychological difficulty and impairment are prone to being destabilised by transitions such as changes in accommodation or the ending of therapeutic relationships. Um, As well as the loss of their home, residents are facing the loss of many therapeutic relationships with staff. And this isn't just one or two of of those alliances, it's all, all of those at once. And some of those have been 
established over a long period of time. They're foundational uh, to the residents' sense of security and to their rehabilitation. And they're not simply replaceable by just, you know, replacing those um, staff members with new staff members in another environment. That's going to take a, a massive amount of time. And, and could, adjust. as Mary explained with her relative, uh, could take years. The Public Accounts Committee meeting that you mentioned uh, last week, I know uh, the CEO of the HSE, Paul Reid, he was responding to Labour Doll Deputy Sean, Sean Sherlock. Mm. He simply said it would cost too much to refurbish the <coughs> centre. So do I take it that's it? Line drawn, this centre is closing, there's nothing local people can do. I, I, I would hope not. Um, the the claim that the works are impossible has been made by an internal HC report. It hasn't been made by an independent structural engineer. Um, and I, I think um, Sean Sherlock's line of questioning w- was, was very... Um, was very important at the at the public accounts committee because he he highlighted to Paul Reid that some of the residents and this came out at the Oireachtas meeting some of the residents are being informed that you know they're they're being transferred because they deserve better they deserve a, a move to a, a higher quality environment when in fact um, the the management that attended the meeting couldn't rule out a, a transfer to St Stephen's Hospital or St Catherine's Ward. And that's an institutional setting, exactly where some of them came from. Absolutely. And I think that's very ethically concerning that that is the message that residents are are being told um, when, in fact, the Mental Health Commission has raised, you know, as, as much concern and in some cases more serious concerns about the premises in those facilities. And not only that, but these are... Um, settings where the residents will be, you know, dislocated from their community of origin and their support systems, where they're likely to be sharing rooms as opposed to having single rooms where they are at the moment. Um, and, you know, we all agree that there are issues with the premises in Onakura that require very significant investments. But if residents are being moved on the rationale that they are relocating to a better quality facility, we need clear comparative information on that. My colleague, Nasa Horrigan, she's a Green Party spokesperson for health. She requested <clears throat> building reports from local HC management on August 31st in advance of this meeting last week um, for St. Stephen's Hospital. Because she wanted to see, okay, fair enough, we have the issues in Onakura, they are significant, there's nobody denying that. But what are the standards of the premises where the clients are being located to? Um, management committed at the Oireachtas meeting that they would send on these reports. This is several, you know, over three weeks on. Um, she followed up last week. We still have no sight of them. Um, so that all of that is very concerning. The, the other thing Sean Sherlock mentioned at the Oireachtas meeting last week was there are three community residences for people with, with similar needs in North Cork. So they ha- we have Koshala um, in Kenturk, Solis Nua in Mallow and Carrigabrick in Fermoy. And there are around 14 residents in each house. And this really represents real progress away from institutional care for those residents. Serving a similar catchment size for Cove, Glenville and Middleton Yall, we've had 24 beds in the Onacora Centre and more recently 19 during COVID because all the, the twin rooms went to single room occupancy. Um, and I think, you know, as much, as much as we really need to focus on the plight of the current residents, we also need to look at the fact that there appears to be no clear service plan for the, the overall client group more broadly 
in East Cork who will require these long term and placements. Yeah, that's what I said at the outset. It's it's looking to the future. Uh, It is going to have a knock on effect. Okay, it's an issue I know that hasn't gone away and it certainly hasn't gone away for the residents and their families. And it is a topic we will return to. In the meantime, Liam, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Green Party East Cork Councillor Liam Quaid, 1850 333 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Growing Your Potential is a free 10-week course that supports women living in Cork City who are currently not receiving a job seeker payment but are interested in working outside of the home. The course is run by the Cork City Partnership and joining me from there, uh, Siobhan O'Neill. Good morning to you, Siobhan. Hi, hi, Patricia. Um, Good morning, now, and many thanks for having me on. Well, well listen, yeah. I'm I'm really interested in this program. Yeah. It's it's aimed at women who perhaps were at home raising children or maybe caring yes. for a loved one, and yes. would now kind of have time on their hands and would like to go to work. I mean, is is that the yeah. plan behind it? Yeah, it is. Just to explain about what the program is about, it is as you say. There, it's a free ten week course that's aimed at women who are in the home, working in the home, and want to return. To work outside the home and uh, the course offers a kind of a range of support for example confidence building personal development because building up the confidence again is a big thing for so many women their confidence is really low uh, when they've been out of the workforce for so long so we cover things like identifying your strengths knowing your values identifying your skills goal setting and so on just a couple of examples we also spend a lot of time around CV preparation and interview skills. Now, the CV CV preparation, I imagine people would say, well, if I've been at home for the last 20 years, should I have nothing to put on my CV? I could almost hear the women say that. Well, this, you see, this is what we concentrate a lot on on the course, is the whole area of transferable skills. Often women don't realise, I suppose, the abilities they've built up working in the home. They've been so busy, as you say, caring for others and running the home, that they've lost sight on how much they have to offer. And on this course, we remind them of how valuable the contribution is and would be to prospective employers. For example, like women in the home, they're, you know, they're using so many skills and so much more, you know, uh, listening, decision-making, planning and organising, time management, managing an expenditure, a budget, you know, and... Uh, it is a full-time, it's a full-time job on its own. That's exactly, I was going to go on to say that it's 24-7, as, as many, uh, w- w- you know, homemakers know, and they don't need me to remind me of that. So really, I suppose what it is, it's just, you know, building up the confidence again and saying those things, those skills you have from in the home are so valuable. And so many women are also doing voluntary work outside of the home. And yeah, it's really yeah. important that we really kind of focus on that, you know. And, so parti- and yeah. for, partic- for for women listening who'd be interested in going on the course, uh, Siobhan, yeah. do they need yeah. to know the area of work they want to go into? Because I'm thinking of some women might be thinking, God, I, I don't even know where I'd like to work. No, I suppose what it is, it's the time, you know what it is, it's the time to kind of have a, 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 a bit of me time to think about what do I want to do next? You know, it's time for women to think, well, I kind of want to look at what I don't want to go back to as much as yeah. what I might want to do next. So it's just reflecting on this. It's time for reflection. And then maybe at the end of the course, from what we've discussed as time goes on, that they kind of say, well, look, I want to follow this. I want to have skills. I want to do another course or whatever. So it's time.
time for them, much needed athlete time, you know. And, and I'm assuming when you're part of a course with other women, Siobhan, yeah. there's an element of team building skills. Oh, for sure. I mean, very much small group, usually 10 to 12 women. And they, you know, the whole thing about peer support, supporting each other is a huge part of the course. And often, whenever the course finishes, the women set up their own Facebook pages uh, or WhatsApp groups, and they offer each other support when they're looking for work and so on. That's a huge part of it, oh, for sure, yeah. And have many yeah. women gone on to secure employment? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I suppose the course has been on the go now for about four years. And, you know, over 50% of those women who come on the course have got into employment. Brilliant. Which we think is really, really good. And really, I suppose what it is, is... Uh, we, we like to think that they've, you know, got so much confidence after coming on the course, which helps them when going for interviews, you know, and the support we give as well to help them along the way. OK, yeah. and is there an upper yeah. or a lower age limit to go on the course? No, 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 we have, you know, we could have women in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s. So, you know, that's fine. We've had a couple of women in their early 60s. No, that's that. That, you know, there is no uh, barrier there. Brilliant, you know? brilliant. So how, yeah. how, how, and is there a course due to start soon? Yeah, there's a course, a course starting this week, which is almost full, but all going well, we're hoping to start another course next month. So I'd say to women, do get in contact with me and we can have a chat about the course and so on and I can give you my details. Please do. Now. Yeah, please yeah. do. Uh, they can ring me on the landline here in the partnership at 021 430 2310 or my mobile number 086-1858081 or if they just go on the partnership website they'll find all the details there. Okay, it's the Cork City yeah. Partnership okay and we have yeah. all of those details on file. Listen, oh. I think it's I think it's brilliant and, and, and I wish all women good luck uh, on it but thank you for joining us and telling us about it this oh, morning Siobhan. Good morning yeah, to you. you. Bye bye, bye bye. Siobhan O'Neill there, the coordinator for the Cork City Partnership for a course called Growing Your Potential. On the way, we will take a look at a lot of calls coming in to do with this new, the plans for the extra bank holiday now at an advanced stage. Lots of people have views on that and who should be getting a COVID bonus payment. Should it just be healthcare workers? Should it be right across the board? We'll also be finding out about why some Alzheimer daycare centres unfortunately are not going to reopen all afternoons at 11. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The bank holiday a weekend uh, coming up at the end of this month with the promise of another bank holiday for the end of the year. Eileen says, Patricia, the clock's going back to winter time this year. And if so, what date is that going to happen on? Uh, and I know every year we have the argument over the clocks, don't we, and the people for and against it. Winter time officially begins on the 31st of October. So the Saturday into the Sunday, not the bank holiday weekend, the following weekend. We get the old extra hour in bed, but it does mean, of course, that the winter, the the evenings will start getting darker. And for a lot of people, they don't like it. So it's not the bank holiday weekend. It's the weekend after the 31st Sunday, the 21st at 2 a.m. in the morning, I think is normally the time, isn't it? OK, more of your texts coming in. This is from Martin. Hi, Patricia. The government needs to give the frontline staff 
three to four thousand euro each as a reward for all the work that they did during the pandemic. Because by the time you take out increased inflation, we've got oil, gas, petrol, electricity prices all going up. Also, childcare costs for nurses are expensive. There's no extra nursing staff available in order to give 10 days off for everybody within the health service. So that's a non-runner, according to Martin. Instead, give all all frontline staff between three and four thousand euro by way of a bonus. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Hi Patricia, I welcome this bank holiday. I've worked hard all throughout the pandemic and to be honest, as this texture I'm feeling a bit worn out, so it's a nice bonus. That should be acceptable to all workers public, private and civil servants. And then for the healthcare workers who were literally right in the middle with hands-on care, they should get more. I felt stressed and I worked hard, but I wasn't zipping people into body bags or I wasn't hooking people up to oxygen machines. They deserve more, but it is massively complex and I don't know how they'll work it out. It's very difficult and that's therein lies the problem that I see with it as well. How do you decide who who were the frontline workers who really did work to the point of absolute exhaustion whereas there was other healthcare workers through no fault of their own but their maybe their department didn't operate during COVID they didn't get redeployed so I just I just don't know how you do it I just don't know where you go or how you actually decide who is going to get it and it will be massively complex is certainly a good way to put it thank you for your text other texts uh, in Hi Patricia this COVID bonus is becoming ridiculous we've got Gardaí and other workers now demanding inclusion I would suggest that only people, i.e. hospital staff, the ones that had to wear PPE gear 12 hours a day. That's how you would work out who should get it and who should not get it. I worked as a driver right throughout this COVID pandemic and I was glad to do so. The Irish bandwagon jumping again. It is disgraceful, says Dan, that other sectors of society are saying, sure, we worked hard uh, as well. Uh, And somebody else says, Patricia, you've mentioned that bus drivers and train drivers are going forward looking for the bonus, yet their unions are going forward. All I saw during the pandemic was empty buses. I know the bus drivers had to work Work, but surely they had a much easier job during the pandemic than others who worked much harder. Uh, Jim says, Patricia, a four day working week. That would be a much better option to be pursued by our unions. It's what the up and coming generation want. Yes, of course, I welcome an extra bank holiday, but a four day working week should be the ultimate goal. Our agricultural co-ops could lead by example on this and start introducing a four-day working week. Lots of people I think would like the idea of a four-day working week. Pat says, hi Patricia, on a different topic. I see where Boris Johnson and his Tories want to rejoin Europe again. After all the trouble they caused, they shouldn't be left back in. Well, I don't know. I haven't heard of Boris Johnson and the Tory party. There will, there will be some remainers within the Tory Tory party who might want to go back into the EU. I certainly haven't heard Boris Johnson. I did hear of a Labour frontbencher who was suggesting that the UK should join the EU but I certainly haven't heard it from Boris Johnson but of course Boris Johnson had to come out under pressure to offer foreign HGV drivers temporary visas to tackle what is a major problem in Britain. They've got a massive lorry driver shortage. I know we have a lorry driver shortage in this country but nothing like what they have in the UK so of course eventually Boris Johnson backed down from his initial reluctance to issue any fresh Uh, visas and he announced at the weekend that 5,000 
temporary visas would be approved for foreign truck drivers and I think five and a half thousand temporary visas for poultry workers and the whole idea is is to get Britain through between now and Christmas they'll bring in the truck drivers let them work away bring in the poultry workers who will obviously work on the turkey farms and all of that but they're temporary visas they have to be gone then on on Christmas Eve I actually couldn't believe when I was reading the rules and regulations around these temporary visas I was thinking what in that is going to encourage any Eastern European driver who initially had got kicked out of Britain because of the EU what part of a temporary come over here for three months and work your little butts off as hard as you can and then by the way on Christmas Eve you need to get back in your lorry and you need to get out of the country I really can not see that working and actually I read a piece uh, earlier from somebody who was saying that in that over in the e, in the Eastern European countries where the workers have gone back to the reports are that the drivers within the European uh, Union look set to reject the office so I can't see the, them getting them maybe they will get some but I can't see them getting the 5,000 and the 5,000 as well seems to be a drop in the ocean because the transport the road transport unions have been saying that they need in the UK they need about 100,000 extra Drivers, And I know some of the Labour Party in the UK are suggesting that Boris Johnson should be offering that figure, 100,000 visas uh, to truckers. And certainly don't put this at three months where you've got to be gone by Christmas Eve. Let's, let's watch that with, with interest. And certainly at, for people in the UK queuing up for petrol and petrol stations without petrol. I saw on Twitter last night a couple of Irish people are affected by it. I saw one family, for example, who are coming back for some kind of a family reunion or a wedding or something and they're trying to travel across Britain and they were trying to make the ferry and they couldn't get petrol. They kept they got to a petrol station to try to fill up and when they got to the petrol station didn't have any petrol and they missed the ferry. So there's there's a knock-on effect for Irish people as well, even though lots of reports in the paper today say that we're not going to have this, even though we, are, we have a shortage of drivers here but we're certainly not going to see the same here in this country, which certainly is welcomed news. And And then on the fuel allowance, the fuel allowance payment kicks in from this week, from today. This is payments for the 2021-2022 season issued from this week. It is, of course, a means-tested payment. There's about 370,000 households will receive this payment over the next 28 weeks. If you opt to get paid weekly, then when you go to collect your social welfare payment or if your social welfare payment is paid into the bank, you'll get an extra €28 a week for the 28 weeks. And then others, of course, a number of years ago, they brought in this lump sum payment instead so that people maybe would like to buy some a tank of oil oil you can do that instead or bulk by coal or you know bulk by fuel so if you've opted to go for the two lump sum payments you'll get the first one this week of 392 and then halfway through the 28 week period you get the second 392 Minister for Social Protection Heather Humphreys has said she's very conscious of households seeing bills uh, increase and we all know everybody's expecting the electricity the after Christmas electricity bill to by word of warning to people put some extra money aside particularly if you live on a very tight budget because the bills after Christmas where everyone is going to see uh, an increase in uh, that and for the fuel allowance by the way for people if you are entitled to the fuel allowance you were entitled to the fuel allowance last year you'll automatically be paid it and that's as long as 
everything remains the same. You don't have to reapply once you got it last year. If everything has stayed the same, you'll automatically be, be paid. But it does mean if people's circumstances have changed in the last year, and God knows that has happened, you might be entitled to a fuel allowance. If so, you need to submit an application immediately and you can do that through the Department of Social Protection's uh, website. And the Minister said that she has put aside €292 million Euro has been set aside by the Department of Social Protection for the fuel allowance payment, but it's the payments start this week. 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Cashier slash cleaning position is available with Cashel Moore Catering. They're based in Skibbereen. You send a CV, please, to KC Catering Cork at Hotmail.com. A farm worker is wanted for work in the Grenade area, 087-239-4233. Construction worker wanted to work in Blackpool. CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And Cycle Scene Bike Shop, they're on Blarney Street in Cork. They're looking for a part-time bicycle mechanic slash sales advisor. You email cyclescene at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now we here in Cork are one of 11 counties who will be unable to offer dementia care services in some areas unless extra funding is provided in the upcoming budget. That's according to the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland and joining me there CEO Pat McLaughlin. Good morning to you Pat. Good morning Patricia. And you're very, you're very welcome to the programme. Now firstly just a general chat about daycare centres. Have many of your daycare centres reopened? Yeah number 11 of them have reopened and there's a number of ones that are being refurbished at the minute. We had 47 before COVID and uh, 10 of those were either owned or leased by ASI itself. Uh, 13 of them would have been in HSE buildings and many others then were in community halls or privately rented. And it's really in the community halls and the private rented sector that we have difficulty reopening because of shared buildings, etc. So the impact on Cork has been that we own uh, Bessborough and we did a, a lovely job in refurbishments and the Taoiseach visitors recently. And that's reopened already since the 13th of July and right. running well. And we're operating three days there at the moment, and that will move to four. Uh, Mallow is a centre that we own as well, a lot of fundraising done there, and we have to extend that, so we've received planner permission for that. So that that will, will happen in time. But we have been to Kana and Mitchellstown that we hope to open in October, their HSE buildings. And we have two buildings and that we don't have premises for, and that's in Bandon and Middleton. Yeah, and has COVID created this problem or was there always an underinvestment in these centres, Pat? Well, there was always an underinvestment in the sense that many buildings that we had, we could only operate them for maybe one day or two days a week. If we were in a community hall, well, then we were we, we were dependent on how frequently the hall might be available for us. So there has been an investment, an underinvestment. And I suppose we were always quite prepared to go into small communities with small centres, etc. 
But COVID has meant that we've had to look at the buildings that we have and many of them are now not suitable. So it did exacerbate a problem that was already there, a problem of underinvestment. In an ideal world, I take it, Pat, you would have many more centres open and you'd have them open five days, would you, in an ideal world? We would, absolutely. We would have them open for five days. And we'd have more than daycare there. We would have drop-in centres, maybe family care or training. There's a lot of things we could do. Uh, Sorry, we're cafes in a building if if it's large enough. I mean, the the test, I suppose, was that the buildings that we owned or that had been pre-designed stood the test of time and we were able to move back into those quite quickly with some investment. And uh, they're they're running well. But uh, we do not need to take stock because this is an issue which is going to impact on us into the future. It's estimated there's 64,000 people with the dementia in Ireland at the present, but that that will grow to 150,000 by 2050. So it is an opportunity, we would feel, for the government to put some money into the National Development Plan or have a fund, dedicated fund, so that we could work with the HSE and say, you know, would extensions to your buildings work? Would, is there new buildings needed? But there is a need for a fund because many situations we're talking to local authorities of the HSE about uh, buildings or about sites, etc. But there isn't any point in, in, in talking to them unless there's some resource that we know we can draw on to try and, and uh, get a service established. And that number that you quoted there, that figure of 150,000 is the is the estimate by 2050. Is that due to the fact that we're living longer, Pat? It is. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a feature of the age structure of the population. Many countries have a higher rate of prevalence at the moment, but we have a relatively young population, but it is ageing rapidly. And uh, that, that's exactly the situation. There's estimated to be about 7,500 people with uh, dementia in Cork City and County. So it gives you an idea of the, the scale it's a lot of, of people. And a lot it of, is a lot of people. And a lot of families affected by that diagnosis as well. It, it is. And maybe what people may not realise is that that can affect people as early as their 30s. So it's estimated there's about 50 people in Cork City and County who have dementia and they're between 30 and 34 years of age. And they have very different needs and uh, we've identified that in our pre-budget submission that, uh, you know, younger onset dementia people have very, very different needs. It may happen at a, a, you know, different stage in their family. They may have young kids, they may have to give up work, etc. We try to get people to stay living as good as possible for as long as possible. But the reality is for some people, they may be in a job that they're not able to, to do that or indeed they may need a care. So... It can have a major impact on them financially, you know, family dynamics. So there's a whole different suite of services. Maybe it's financial, legal, family support, counselling, etc., which is needed for younger um, onset dementia uh, persons who have dementia. How challenging, Pat, has the pandemic been on people with Alzheimer's and their families? It's been extremely challenging because I always say there, there are two sides of a coin. Uh, people with dementia are generally being cared for many by their spouses or by family. And, you know, we, we know that people were not able to get out. They weren't able to attend face-to-face services because our services were closed uh, because the government insisted that we close our day services. We weren't allowed face-to-face services. So our support clubs are Alzheimer cafes, our family care training, all of those were impacted. Now, we did continue with uh, 
home care services and we developed a lot of our services virtually and we developed a new service whereby the staff that we had in daycare did go out to people's houses and carry out the same activities. But we carried out research both at the beginning of COVID and subsequently and uh, we did find that 81 per- 81% of people who responded they feel concerned about declining the condition of the family member with dementia and oh. family carers 54% a decline in their own mental health and a 40% decline in their physical health and that's probably one of the first time that carers really I suppose told us the truth they're, they're inclined to uh, continue on and say we make do etc but the message was that it led to a significant and irreversible deterioration uh, in symptoms that were being experienced by people living with dementia loneliness and social isolation was a big issue because people who may have visited them weren't able to visit them so they couldn't they couldn't get out and they couldn't allow visitors in and they weren't able to access the services that they normally had so they've had a very very difficult time and those, your daycare centres, Pat, are, are so important, obviously, for the person, you know, who has the diagnosis of Alzheimer's. You know, they're, really, they're very important to them. But for their family members, it can and at, at times is the only break, respite, only chance that the carer gets to get other jobs done or just recharge yeah. the batteries. Isn't it? I mean, that's you're, fair to say, you're isn't right, it? You're right, Patricia. In many situations, even the one day a week, that a person was able to attend our daycare centre was an opportunity for the carer to plan the rest of the week for themselves, get an opportunity to do shopping, go maybe to the doctor for it, their own condition. Many of them uh, who are carers or spousal carers and their own health status isn't good. So it was an opportunity for them to have a break and uh, that, that was denied them. And also for the first time ever, with COVID, uh, people were actually refusing home care because they were so afraid of yeah. people coming into their houses. And it took us a while till we got people to accept the uh, home care services again. But our, our staff eventually coaxed people that they could trust us and they, they knew our staff. So that, that situation improved. But it's very difficult now for us to meet people and say, you know, you've been 20 months without a service and we still don't know where, when we're going to be able to reopen. So we're looking for alternative premises. We don't necessarily need to build uh, premises. We feel we do in some areas because of the size of the towns or areas. But we're looking for additional premises, both ourselves and the HSE, and we are anxious to get back to some degree of normality as quickly as possible. And we did get a lot of support from the government last year, and that did help us with home care services and with dementia advisors and a whole range of services. And what we really need, you know, an ongoing investment to try and deal with the years of neglect. Respite, is that always an issue for, for families? It's always an issue, and uh, we had to close our two respite uh, centres as well. Many people were also accessing respite care in nursing homes, and uh, that's respite for the person with, with the dementia. And that oftentimes was not available to people as well as nursing homes weren't keen to take anybody uh, who hadn't been um, COVID-free or vaccinated or whatever. So respite was a real difficulty and, uh, you know, that's something that we're trying to get back up and run as, as quickly as possible. OK, and with the lack of daycare centres, the ones that are and that you you have had opened, uh, and particularly the 47, is there always a waiting list, Pat, for those? There was a waiting list. We 
had about 100 or 1,100 people attending prior to COVID and we had a waiting list of 400. So that gives you an idea. And uh, there are some counties still without even uh, a daycare centre, even pre-COVID, Wexford, Leitrim and Leash didn't have any daycare service at all, despite the fact that it's a service that's available maybe for 30 years in other in other counties. So there has been a, a lottery in effect in relation to whether an investment went in previously. Uh, now, we were successful. The HSE gave us um, the resources to begin a service in, in Leash during COVID, and we'll get that up and running in October. But uh, there is really a need to take a serious look at both the needs that are emerging and the infrastructure that's available, because regressively, it's an issue that's going to be with us uh, for, for uh, the next generation. Okay, and you've put in your pre-budget submission and all you can do now is, is wait. I think about it. it's two weeks uh, tomorrow. And in the meantime, Pat, anybody listening who is providing care to a loved one with Alzheimer's, reach out if they haven't reached out already to the Alzheimer's Society? Absolutely. And we have a, a national helpline, which is 1-800-341-341. And also our website has a lot of very useful materials uh, that, that people can use. We also developed activity packs that uh, people can use in, in their homes uh, if they have somebody that's living with dementia and the response to those has been really, really good. So uh, contact your dementia advisor either and they, they'll be able to identify what services may be available or open and the details of those are on our website www.alzheimer.ie Okay, you do amazing work. Continue good luck with it, uh, Pat. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us thank on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Pat McLaughlin, who is CEO of the Alzheimer Society of Ireland, uh, working as best they can to try to get their daycare centres back up and running. 1850 333 103. Still getting in a lot of commentary to do with the bank holidays. Can I just explain, because there seems to be a little bit of confusion on this bank holiday that the government plans to give the extra bank holiday and it's at an advanced stage. Somebody, for example, says, Patricia, does the bank holiday for frontline workers include home helps or as we're called now, healthcare assistance? And somebody else was on to say, uh, on bank holidays, what about credit union workers? They worked all throughout the uh, bank holidays. It shouldn't just be for banks. It isn't just for banks and it isn't just for nurses and it isn't just for doctors. It would be an extra bank holiday, similar to them all the way other bank holidays operate, but it would just be a one-off for this year. But it would be for all workers everyone would be entitled to the bank holiday we're just waiting on the government to give us the actual details of what date they have decided and and we'll listen with interest to see what's their rationale behind the date of what the new bank holiday will be and as I say it looks like it is going to be just a one-off for this year even though there's talks of an extra bank holiday from next year but that's going to be a springtime bank holiday Amaris by email says Patricia now that the hysteria about COVID-19 appears to be coming to an end. The money-hungry greed has started with everybody wanting their COVID bonus. Where will it all stop? And that's from Morris emailing Patricia at c103.ie Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie Can Turk Community AstroTurf Committee are rolling out plans for a one 
1 million euro development AstroTurf pitch at Green Anne Canturk it is adjacent to the Colossia Trassa Sports Hall and to find out more I'm joined by Veronica Walsh who is the PRO of the Canturk uh, Community AstroTurf Committee Good morning to you Veronica Good morning Patricia now, now this is such an exciting project uh, for the uh, area just tell me where you're at I, I believe you're actually past the planning stage We Oh we are indeed and um, so yeah it's very very exciting and it's ambitious and it'll be a fantastic benefit for years to come. So where we're at at the minute is we actually turned the sod in it on the 10th of September and works commenced then last week. So Pat Fitzpatrick won the tender for the groundworks so it's it's in progress at the moment. So from the turning of the sod on the 10th of September when do you expect it to be completely We're hoping to have it fully... It's going to take place in three phases. So the first phase is happening at the moment, which is the groundworks, um, car park and a pedestrian walkway. Then it will be the laying of the actual pitch and then to finish it up with, you know, the various different lightings and things to go around it. Okay, and the committee is a collaboration of a number of organisations, clubs and schools, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so it's unique in that sense. I suppose it's pan-community. So the the rugby club, the soccer club, the GA club are all involved and they're all on the committee. And also the four schools, Skullvura, Kalosh Tatrasa, the Convent of Mercy Girls School and the St. Coleman's Boys School. So it's really unique in that sense. So you know, everybody will benefit from this and that's the important thing. Um, so there's a huge numbers from the Duhalo area coming to the schools in Canturk. So they'll get the benefit of it during the day and in the evening time then it'll be open to the community. That's what I think is really exceptional about this project. I don't think in all my years doing this programme I've come across so many groups coming together to say we need this for the area let's all sit down and get our heads together so I'm I'm assuming planning has been going on for quite some time planning has been going on for a while and it is a really really hard working committee and they're fantastic to work with each and every one of them so and actually the pitch itself will be the size of the Aviva Stadium the actual surface of it obviously not the (laughs) the stadium itself but the size of it so which will be fantastic for the community uh, now, the big question mm-hmm. of cost. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned very quickly in my introduction, it's in the region of €1 million. Euro. OK, talk to me about grants. You're obviously eligible for some kind of grants, yes, are you? Yes, indeed. So we have been granted funding from Cork County Council Community Fund. So we have €20,000 from them, which we're very thankful for. We've also been successful in securing 40000 in leader funding um, through IRD, to Hollow and the Market. Um, we've applied for a um, capital sports grant. We'll know uh, that by the end of September, or sorry, October, I'd say at this stage. So we're hoping to get some funding in that. And we've also applied for a Clan Credo role, which, uh, a loan, sorry, they're an organisation which, you know, give you loans to community projects. Mm. So um, I suppose the big thing then to, to finish it up will be fundraising. And fundraising will play a key role. And I suppose we'd like to thank everybody who has supported us so far. Um, but we have a really fantastic fundraiser on at the moment. This is your big one where you've got a draw for a car, did yes. I see? Yeah, tell we me have, about that. So we have a, a 
Toyota CHR Hybrid. We're doing this in association with O'Callaghan Motors in Canturk. It's a beautiful red, glistening red car. Um, tickets are on sale, one for €20, Euro, three for 50 They can be purchased online at kenturkastroturf.ie and also from participating shops um, throughout the Kenturk area. And there are many days in which we're, you know, selling outside super value, selling at the car park um, or in Lidl or Gala or somewhere like that around town. We're, we're hoping to be more places in the coming weeks. Yeah, and I know the draw isn't isn't taking place until January. It'll make nice little stocking fillers and Chris, Christmas be, presents for absolutely. people. Absolutely. Christmas presents would be fantastic. 18th birthday presents, yeah. anything to, to um, like as I said, every single ticket sold is appreciated so much for the community. The draw is taking place the 7th of January, but we also have an early bird draw that's taking place on Wednesday evening actually at 8.30 and that'll be on Facebook Live and people can keep up to date on all our social media it's at Canturk Astroturf for pretty much everything. And did you deliberately go for a red car for it being Cork? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but it is a beautiful red car and it's a hybrid and it's um, worth 33,000 so it's just important if people could support it, we would be very delighted. Are you are you reaching out to the diaspora abroad? Yes, we yeah. are indeed. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose social media is great for that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to sell the tickets on the ground locally would be fantastic to have a local winner as well. It would, yeah. It and, would. and I think another important thing was the sod was turned um, by the students from the schools. So we had eight students, two from each school, and it was a lovely symbolic, and it's on our, it's on our Facebook and Instagram page, it was a lovely um, symbolic gesture for them to mark the significant milestone. And then the plan is, when it's all up and running, all of the groups that got involved, everybody ev- and everybody in the wider community will have access to it. Yeah. That's the long-term goal. Absolutely. So from nine to four, the schools will have access to it, the four schools. And after that, then the community will have access. So the various GA, the rugby, soccer and anybody else that would like to book in, there'll be a booking system at that stage in place. Okay, and you know, to have something like this in in your area, it's going to be such a, a plus to the to not just Canturk, indeed to the wider area. Do I assume you'll be able to generate rental income from it as well? Yes, that's yeah. the plan going forward. So there'll be a, a management um, system set up, and that you know to keep it updated and maintained. Um, by way of rental money. That's fantastic. Listen, we wish you well uh, with it and just once again remind people where they can get the tickets from. It's canturkastroturf.ie and from local participating shops, nearly all the shops and pubs in Canturk and um, everyone's helping out everyone is more everybody's than yeah, helping everyone's out everyone's more than well. listen good luck with it thank uh, you very Veronica, much. and good luck with the Astra uh, turf it's, it's fantastic thanks for joining us thank you very much good morning to Bye you now. that is uh, Veronica Walsh who is PRO of that Astra turf committee in uh, Cantor fantastic to see that pan community just everybody getting together and deciding this is going to benefit so many people into the future in that area and to have a state of the art AstroTurf pitch like that available to local community really is is a real plus. So well done to everybody involved. 1850-333-103. I can already see some texts coming in for Annalise Dressel. Can you keep those coming please? Because Annalise, our nutritional therapist, will be joining us after 12 o'clock today. And I started the programme this morning by just saying how upset and sorry I was for poor old 
Rory McIlroy and I just thought when I saw him crying yesterday and I used the phrase uh, heartbreaking somebody has picked me up and said that I shouldn't be saying heartbreaking at the end of the day uh, it's it's only a game of golf and not everybody saw it the way I saw it I just I think to watch a man and an Irish man uh, crying and getting that upset I just wanted to give him uh, a hug and somebody else says John and Carrie says Patricia watching Rory McIlroy crying on the television in front of millions of people what was he like? If a little game of golf upsets you so much it's time to give it up after all it's just a sport driven by huge ridiculous money for the winner where are the sports you play and simply enjoy Rory McIlroy needs to try a new sport and get a life imagine playing a sport for enjoyment and it upsets you to tears God help us as John and Kirkland. I think you are being a bit unfair to Rory and firstly there's no money involved with the Ryder Club they play for the Americans play for the honour of America and the Europeans play for the honour of Europe now that's not to say that when they take part in other competitions yes there's huge sums of money as a lot of sports huge, huge sums of money but to hear you say imagine playing a sport for enjoyment and it upsets you that much you look at any of our lads and lassies who tog out to play for the county when they lose on the day of an All-Ireland final or they lose at a county final and how upset people get when people are passionate and that passionate about a sport and I think for Rory the reason he was so upset he wasn't upset because you, when you're saying to lose a game of golf he didn't he actually won his singles match he was so disappointed in himself he felt he left the team down and he was sp- talking about how much how important the team was and what a great bond the team had over the last couple of weeks as they were getting together for the Ryder Cup. He felt he let them down because he hadn't played well on the previous two days and that's, you know, why he went out and seemingly said to Podrick Harrington, put me out at the start because I have something to prove and he did prove it because he did win. He was one of the few that won for Europe in the singles match uh, yesterday. So I think you're being a bit mean to him in that he wasn't crying over the game of golf he was crying on behalf of the team and him he feeling that he'd left the team down, which, by the way, I don't, I don't think he did leave the team down. I don't think anyone on the team would have pointed a finger at him and said, you've left uh, the team down. So I just think you're being a little bit unfair. But you're entitled to your view. And a listener is pointing out when I mentioned that the clocks are going back at the end of, the, end of October, the 31st, the last Saturday into Sunday, the last weekend in October, and we'll be having the darker evenings and all of that. And somebody's pointing out, Patricia, did you not have on Sean Kelly, MEP, saying that the EU were going to stop this. I did. I did indeed. You you remembered uh, correctly. It was actually back in, I had to do a Google search on this to be absolutely sure. It was back in 2018 that Brussels unveiled the plan to do away with daylight saving time. Now that led to a sharp debate on the merits of changing the clock, particularly the one, the October one for the darker uh, evenings. Now one of the big issues here in Ireland from an Irish government's point of view and the reason the Irish government were opposed to it was they were fearing it would result in different time zones on either either side of the border because obviously now that the UK are out of the EU, they wouldn't have to abide by this decision made at EU level and it was already said that they were going to remain on Greenwich Mean Time and they were going to continue putting the clocks back and putting the clocks forward so we could end up here in Ireland for example, north and south of the border with an hour time difference and that would cause all kinds of complications for people. But anyway but they were still, the EU was still pushing ahead with it and actually this Sunday, the last Sunday in March 
when the clocks went forward for summertime and we all welcomed the bright evenings. That should have been the end of it. According to what happened with the plans that were unveiled in 2018, we should have gone up as far as 2021 and then that would be it and was giving every country a chance to get ready and get used to the fact that they were going to abolish the clock uh, changes. But obviously coronavirus hit and that kind of scuppered all of the plans. So it seems the plan literally stalled and as coronavirus overshadowed all European governments, any enthusiasm to tackle sort of other differences within a member state's really one of them was put on the back burner was uh, the clocks. Uh, it was just something that wasn't discussed and it's, you know, there just wasn't the uh, the same impetus there because all of the countries were worried about other things instead. So we might check back in again actually with MEP uh, Sean Kelly just to see what is happening on it because I know there was a number of arguments in other EU countries. A lot of EU countries were in agreement with it but public support in Ireland for changing the rules of uh, time wasn't qualified. There had been a 2009 survey was done by Amorok for the government and at that stage it showed 82% did not favour any measure that would lead to different time zones in Ireland. So as opposed to asking would you like to see the end of the clocks going forward and back. They asked the question, how would you feel if there was, there was two different time zones on the island? And 82% said, no way, Jose. We don't need that. We've got enough divides as it is without adding that one into it. So that would certainly become a huge problem for the Irish government if they, because the EU left it up to individual countries as to what they were going to do. But as I say, the appetite just not very much put on the back burner. So we'll see between now and the end of October, can we find out has anything changed and is anything likely to change and will they go back to that decision that they made in 2018? But thank you uh, for your text and well remembered by John that Sean Keddy was on saying that they were going to leave the clocks alone. By the way, John says, leave the clocks alone and leave the time the way it is. 1850, 3 Continue to get your questions for Annalise in, please. We're going to take a break. We've news at 12 midday on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people commenting on Rory McElroy and John and Carrie Galine uh, was was having a right old rant and couldn't understand why he was crying and you know he should change sports and really didn't have any sympathy at all for poor uh, Rory. John in Cove is kind of with John and Carrie Galine I have to say. He said I spotted him crying on the early morning news and I was wondering uh, what it was all about for the cameras. He's worth millions. Is he crying over money or losing? Uh, it was nothing to do with money because for the Ryder Cup they play for the honour. It's, it's absolutely nothing. It was to do with him feeling he left down his teammates. Sean says I've played sports and maybe John and Carrigaline never played sports or maybe if he did uh, he will know how hard it is when you do lose a game and particularly when you lose as a team. Sean says I once played with my local GAA team. I've never played a county level or anything like that. I've never got through to a county final but still when we lost a match we would all be gutted. You train so hard leading up to the match particularly during the winter months you're out in all kinds of cold weather you end up spending time away from uh, your family and then it's all over when you lose the match 
much so the emotions can get the better of you and Eileen out on Bear Island says to the person who says it's only a small game of golf how can anybody say that Eileen said I was glued to the TV at the weekend I was watching Podrick Harrington all weekend because of his roots to the Bearer Peninsula the Americans were simply better golfers across the weekend and that's what happens with sport they the Europeans gave it their best you could see the pride they had and yes it was disappointing but it gave it they gave it their best but please don't dismiss it yeah I'm 100% with you on that Eileen and for those of us that like watching the Ryder, Ryder Cup it was great entertainment across the weekend it's just I found yesterday oh I thought it was never going to end I really I just felt so sorry uh, for them all 1850 I was talking about the fuel allowance and the fuel allowance for 370,000 households who received it last year they're entitled to it again this year and the payments kick in from this week Kate uh, says we've worked all of our lives we built our own house we sent our children through schools and educated them through college we live in rural area with very few amenities so we have to travel everywhere to shops to banks anything we need to do we've got to get in a car and we have to, have to uh, travel we should have gone on the dole we'd be better off I heard you talk about the fuel allowance being paid out this week. We never got any such thing as free fuel. The middle class are getting a bit sick of carrying the can for this country, says Kate. Not happy to hear other people getting a fuel allowance when the middle class seem to be getting nothing. That's from uh, Kate and... um, Still getting in a lot of commentary on the bank holiday and this proposal by the government to give a bank holiday plans are at an advanced stage, we're told. Patton from Moy says, I'm disgusted with the whole thing. There's a lot of greed out there with the unions calling for this and calling for this, calling for that. Where does the front line start and where does the front line end? We all played our part in getting through this pandemic. I don't think people need, any group in society need an extra 10 days holiday. If we want to do anything, perhaps erect a monument or something that will remind us of what happened. In a couple of years' time, it'll become but a distant memory and it'll be forgotten about. We need to remember the people that died. Uh, it was it, it really, for our generation, it's like, uh, it's like a third world war. It's like our world at war. But, uh, to, he, but he doesn't feel the need, Patton Fromoy doesn't feel the need for any sector of society to be getting any, any kind of bonuses as a result of getting through uh, COVID. OK, also on the... Oh, this is a nice one from Michael. Patricia, speaking about the bank holiday, and we're asking people for their suggestions of when should the bank holiday happen. It looks like it's not going to be announced until the budget, and budget day is two weeks tomorrow. So, and that will be then a week, a little bit a week away from our October bank holiday so it's hardly that we're going to get it in October so when in November or December would you like to see this additional uh, bank holiday there's a nice one from Michael says on bank holidays uh, we should have a Thanksgiving harvest weekend do it into the future and have it sometime around the autumn equinox when autumn officially begins and make it permanent I mean this bank holiday the one two as a kind of a thank you to frontline staff and everybody who worked during the pandemic and also the government are going to say it's to remember all those who died during the pandemic. It is looking like, from what we can understand, that it's going to be a one-off. There is talks about a new bank holiday 
for next year but we're still waiting on the detail of that but this one it would just be a one-off but for next year's one Michael is suggesting have it in the autumn time and kind of the autumn equinox and a little bit like Thanksgiving what they do in the States I suppose that's your rationale behind that thank you for that Michael on the changing of the clocks and should we change the clocks and I'm just saying the problem the Irish government have if the UK government decide to remain on Greenwich Mean Time and we decide to stick with the Europeans and not change the clocks forward and back in March and October we would end up on this beautiful island of Ireland with two different time zones. Ross says what's wrong with that? Haven't we different time zones in Europe? What difference would it uh, make if you lived along the border it certainly would cause a lot of uh, complications. Thanks for your text uh, Ross. Hi Patricia, what's the story with the price of diesel? It's steadily rising and has been now I reckon since around May of this year. Uh, With the budget nearly upon us and of course, I'm assuming we are talking about the budget, carbon tax. There's going to be an increase in carbon tax and that's going to have a knock-on effect on petrol and diesel. Anyway, this texture says it is one euro, it's over one euro fifty a litre for diesel. That's a rise of over 13 cent in just five months. It is utterly scandalous. Sorry, my rant is uh, over. Actually, last week we had people on Friday, I think it was, we had a number of people on noticing just all of a sudden they noticed, gee, why, how's, how and why has petrol prices gone so, so up so high? And I looked into it and it's to do with the global demand for crude oil has uh, recovered because with the economies reopening, the knock-on effect then is there's a global demand for crude oil because we were told factories and businesses that closed down, they need a lot of crude oil in order to start back up again. And that was one of the reasons for it. And obviously you now people are back at work. So more people are looking for petrol, more people are looking for diesel. So there is a global demand and the knock-on effect then meant that Irish petrol prices had uh, gone up. And I know during the summer months when I looked at it, at that stage, petrol had gone up by something like 20% in the last year and diesel had gone up by 21% and I'm assuming if I did a bit of research on that this afternoon that figure would even be higher. It has gone up certainly everywhere. Thank you for your text. Con says I agree with Dan, one of your previous texters and the person who said that bus drivers were driving empty buses during a lot of the lockdown so why are they putting in for a claim for a bonus due to uh, COVID? Where were all the angels what were all the angels of mercy doing before COVID and I'm assuming Con is aiming that at our nurses and our healthcare staff. The fuel allowance household benefit package that you spoke about is at last year's rate. If they do decide to give a generous increase in the budget, which is what is expected, they won't give that increase until next April, the same time as the fuel allowance is stopped for the uh, summer. So if they're going to give an increase to the fuel allowance, says Calm. He wants it put in straight away. Don't wait until uh, April. Give the bonus to the hospital staff, especially the nurses. There was many, many nurses in this co- in this country who comforted the very sick and were with patients at end of life when their families weren't allowed in. Shame on the others to expect a bonus. Weren't they lucky enough to have employment during the pandemic? What about people who lost their jobs or people who were put on the pop payment through no fault of their own? They're not entitled to a bonus because they couldn't go to work. Why suddenly does everybody who held on to a job and was lucky enough to hold on to a job, why do they feel the need for a uh, bonus? And then Dennis says, Tricia, just a few things I want to hash out. Now, Dennis says, there'll be no bank holiday before Christmas, no additional bank holiday. The only money needed 
the only money that they'll find is to pay civil servants for the new bank holiday that they're talking about introducing next year. That's what will be dealt with in the budget. Dennis says you can forget about it. We're not going to get a bank holiday this side of Christmas. Then a couple of other things that Dennis wants to talk about. Are you not going to mention the European elections and referendums? San Marino, for example, voted to legalise abortion. Iceland elected Europe's first majority female parliament and the Greens kicked ass in the German elections. Are you not going to mention any of those things? God, there's so much happening in Europe, Dennis. I'm hard pushed to keep up what's happening in Ireland, let alone get stuck in to what's happening in Europe with elections and referendums. But can I just pull you, take you to task on Iceland electing Europe's first majority female parliament it did look like that that's exactly what Iceland were going to do that they were going to have a a women majority parliament but there was a recount of votes yesterday that showed there will be now slightly more men than women in the chamber now let's not take from what's happened in Iceland 30 women were elected to their parliament and in their parliament they have 63 uh, TDs or whatever they call them in MPs I don't know what they call them in in Iceland but anyway so 30 of the 63 have been uh, elected but that was up from 24 on the previous election so out of the 63 that went into the election only 6 had been female that has now jumped to, thir- to 30 anyway they jumped the gun there was great excitement when they thought that they were going to have more women because what had happened was on Saturday they thought 33 women had been elected but then there was recounts done and it came out that 30 women were elected and 33 men so they've slightly more men but we will watch with great interest and I'm sure other countries will as well particularly other countries that are trying to get a gender balance into their governments what did Iceland do that turned the voters around from on the previous election only voting six women out of a parliament of 63 to suddenly jump that up to 30. We'll watch that with great interest. There are, by the way, three countries that have more women than men and they are, this will be a good one for a table, Chris, Rwanda, Cuba and Nicaragua. They're the only three countries in the world that have elected more women than men. Mexico and the United Arab Emirates have a 50-50 split. And then when you look across Europe, Sweden and Finland, Sweden have 47% women and Finland have 46% women and every single country across Europe. And I think across the world do their best to try to get more women into government. And I certainly know we're trying here in this country. But anyway, Dennis, thank you for your texts. And I'd love to be getting stuck into all of those other European issues that are happening but we've enough to be dealing with here uh, at home with what's going on here 1850-333-103 John Paul's taking your calls The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie Bingo is returning to the new Kalekill Village Hall at the Old Creamery in Kalekill. It's on tonight, Monday at 8 o'clock and tonight is the first night. You need to have your COVID cert, please, in order to gain access. Kildallery Community Development, they'll have their weekly lottery draw that's happening on Thursday of this week, 4pm in the community office. They've got a jackpot this week of €3,500. And good luck to everybody involved with Drimmer League Autumn Fate, which is going to happen next Saturday which will see us into October it's the 2nd of October it will be in Glenillan Farm now shuttle buses will run from the railway yard and they'll start from 1.30 on Saturday lots of attractions and events on the day all proceeds are going to the wonderful Cork Ark 
cancer support. And a charity cycle in aid of the air ambulance will be held next Saturday. Starting and finishing in Skibbereen, it's suitable for all abilities. Registration opens at 9.30 on Saturday morning with a rolling start, obviously due to COVID-19 restrictions. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Earlier on the programme, I spoke with uh, that lovely lady, Siobhan O'Neill, who was talking about that course that they're running called Growing Your Potential. It's a training course for women. It's organised by the Cork City Partnership. Thank you to, is there a name on this, to Anne-Marie who took part in the course. She says, hi Patricia, I did that Growing Your Potential course and would really encourage women to reach out to Siobhan and to join this free programme. It is unique in that uh, the focus, uh, it is unique in its focus as it's designed specifically for homemakers and those who've been out of the workplace for a while. In my case, I hadn't been in paid work for years as I was raising my family. Consequently, I felt that I faced endless roadblocks in every direction as I considered my option for going back to work. This course opened up all kinds of possibilities in a supportive and encouraging environment and helped my confidence to come back. I'm still a work in progress and I'm working on my IT skills currently but I do have a plan and I know that my return to work can and will happen. I want to thank Siobhan and her team of coaches who are absolutely amazing. They are completely non-judgmental, always supportive and encouraging and always motivational. As a woman who took the course, I would say to any woman listening today who has been a homemaker and thinks oh, there'd be nothing I could do out there in the workforce to please give Siobhan a ring today. I'm so glad I did. Thank you, Patricia. That's Mamrie. Thank you, Amrie. And can we wish you luck on your journey and we hope that you do find your dream job that's the Growing Your Potential course organised by the Cork City uh, Partnership and you can check out on the Cork City Partnership website is probably the best place to go you'll find all of the details there okay back to bonuses Patricia these bonuses Covid bonuses that they're talking about giving out will all have to be paid back I really do feel that greed is taking over on this one says a texter and someone else says sure look they're all fighting over who should get the bonus and who shouldn't. We, at the end of the day, we were all in the same boat with this virus. We all just had to learn to live with it. Those of us who were lucky enough to survive it, we were all worried it affected everyone. So why does any group of people need to have a uh, bonus? And hi, Patricia. Uh, just listening there on the suggestion of a bank holiday for run- frontline workers. I can't see any TD being rewarded with that being happy. Also, how much did the convention centre cost seeing as they the TDs were so protective of themselves and they now think frontline workers and sheltered civil service servants working from home should all get an extra day off by way of a bank holiday while well, on the convention centre and they're out of the convention centre they know they're back at the door I know at the time they were saying that the convention centre they didn't pay rent on it but it came at a cost it was to do with all the IT support that they, they had to have it was costing around 25,000 euros a day to hold the doll and the Senate sittings in the National Convention uh, Centre. And I think, I know by the end of August, the figure was over two million was what it had uh, cost it. I know, for example, there was uh, nearly 400,000 was been spent on catering for the TDs in the convention uh, centre. And of course, they used it for most of uh, last year. But, you know, they'll say they are the rules. They couldn't have had everybody inside in the doll. It's too small. It was too confined. 
point and they needed everybody to well to be well spaced out and they were the rules that everybody else was abiding by the two metre rule and people working from home and people are told not to be sitting on top of each other or sharing canteen facilities or any of that so they would say that they had to do it but was it a lot of money? Yeah absolutely it was. Hi Patricia you speak about the Ryder Cup says John I read online that Paul Casey's ex-wife lifted the lid on the large sums of money that the wives and the girlfriends the wags got on buying clothes in the last Ryder Cup three grand to look your best says John I would say it was even more than three grand John for sure it was because all of the girlfriends the wives and girlfriends who go along along with the lads themselves that play uh, in the Ryder Cup they all get their outfits to wear and the girls have similar outfits they usually I know the Americans and I didn't see the Europeans this year but certainly the Americans they all have matching outfits uh, and are they all designer label? Absolutely they are but the whole Ryder Cup generates so much money that obviously it covers all of the costs of that. 1850-333-103 they're all questions for Annalise we'll go to Annalise in just one moment but I want to find a lovely text that came in from Dan to say Patricia would you say thanks to Anthony and his staff at the White Lady Hotel in Kinsale for an excellent stay on Friday night last. Service, food and accommodation was absolutely super. Thanking you, says Dan. So take a bow, Anthony and all of the staff at the White Lady Hotel in Kinsale. And we're always great if something goes wrong with the place to contact a radio station or write to a newspaper or get on social media and complain. So I always love when somebody get service that they feel was above and beyond and was super, as Dan says. I always love to have those people acknowledged as well because working in hospitality has been so, so tough since we've reopened and people are trying to get staff to work and a lot of the staff are untrained, they're new to the industry and it's just been really difficult. So it's terrific when somebody takes time out. So Dan, thank you and glad to know that you did a lovely night away in beautiful Kinsale. 1850-333-103. Going to take a break. Annelise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, is up next answering your questions. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And I was mentioning bingo there a couple of min- minutes ago and I know last week bingo was back in Botford and some people were disappointed that the usual bosses weren't back up and operating. Well, the bingo committee in Botford GAA have been on to say that the bingo is on tonight at 8 o'clock in Botford with the doors opening at 7.30 and they have secured a bus for the Mallow route but patrons are advised they need to be at the usual pick-up uh, stop a half an hour earlier than previous arranged uh, and obviously all you need to bring your co- COVID certificates with you because they're all checked at the GAA hall so obviously they have to allow extra time for everybody's COVID certs to be uh, checked so for people in Mallow who want to go to the bingo in Botterford to go be at the usual bus stop about a half an hour before your normal pick up time please and that's for uh, this evening now Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic joining us um, this Monday afternoon good afternoon to Annalise good afternoon Patricia and you are very welcome and lots of questions in for you so let's get straight into them. Uh, let's start with Anne. Hi Annelise, is there any natural remedy for menopause? I'm feeling very depressed at times. Even last night I woke at 3am in the morning and simply could not go back to sleep. I was still wide awake at 5am. I got up at tea and toast and eventually then went back to sleep. So interrupted sleep pattern as well as feeling down at certain times. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Any advice, please? Absolutely, Patricia, and it's very common, actually, um, to have all of those symptoms and for a lot of women as well, they start blaming it on their life because life is so busy and so stressful. And then we had COVID and it's been hard to juggle family and work and children. So a lot of women blame their symptoms and that feeling of low on what's going on in their lives. But actually, it really is hugely menopausal related. And your sex hormones are made from the same building block as your stress hormones. So if you have a very busy, stressful life, all those building blocks are being shunted down to make your stress hormone and that does make you feel mentally a lot worse and it can make your physical symptoms a lot worse. So typically the natural remedy for menopause would be a what's called a plant-based estrogen or isoflavones they're called. And these are chemicals within plants that have estrogenic qualities so they, they bind to the estrogen receptors in the body and they mildly mimic what our own estrogen hormone would do or what HRT hormone would do if you took it from the doctor so they can help with the kind of the broader range of of menopause symptoms and you can get various different combinations the ones that we love here um the nutri advanced do a wonderful one called one called uh, mega mag perimeno and it has got a whole combination in there the isoflavones for um you know, for supplementing your dropping estrogen levels, magnesium for stress and calm, the B vitamins, again, for energy, focus, calm. It's very high in B6, which is a great one for um, menopause-related anxiety, or if you're inclined to get weepy or anxious coming up to your period, a high dose of vitamin B6 is a wonderful um, uh, support for that. So that's a lovely one. That's Nutri-Advanced Mega Mag Perimeno. And then NHP, the Natural Health Practice, 
has um, one that's been designed by Dr. Marilyn Glenville in the UK. She's kind of the doctor who is very good with all natural female hormones. And that's called uh, menopause support, NHP menopause support. So either of those are very good, but there's actually lots of different brands. So your own health shop will have different ones. Um, The other thing I would say as well, Patricia, is that if you have tried the natural ones and they don't work, get the HRT. I know that doctors are really, really reluctant to give it out. And I have customers walking into the shop that are on antidepressants and they're on cholesterol medication. And actually what they need is HRT. It's not as dangerous um, as it used to be before. The the hormones are a lot more bioidentical, so there's a lot less risk factor. So don't feel that you can't take HRT unless there's a family history of breast or cervical cancer. Yeah, and told you. I think I think more and more GPs though are coming around uh, to it, and and I'm not being sexist in this, but I think if you can get to a female GP, uh, that that is more than likely the case, especially if the GP has gone through something similar herself. But actually, Patricia, I am I am quite taken aback by the women who are on antidepressants, um, and really they just it's need HRT, HRT and yeah. they, because their hormones are not showing that they have totally dropped, which is very common coming up to menopause because your hormones are fluctuating which is why you feel so terrible they're up and down it's like you know constantly being near you know getting a period yeah. so um if you're like a lot of women who aren't showing that their hormones are really depreciated will not be given hrt and really i just think even if the doctor let them try it for a month to see that it improves yeah them, yeah exactly and then let exactly. people make a decision themselves you know yeah okay phil for these please i am on an inhaler i need to use it twice a day have been for the last three months but lately i've started getting cramps are they linked in any way or what would you recommend Hard to know, really, Patricia. The truth is, is the only way of knowing is to stop the inhaler. But like the inhaler generally is kind of steroids um, and they generally are anti-inflammatory. So you would think that they should help with sort of pain and cramps. But I know that people do get a lot of side effects from steroids. And uh, that's why the doctors are so reluctant to prescribe them, really. Um, And a good alternative, if you have to take it for chest reasons, would be maybe to try a salt pipe which is really just a device that has either plastic or ceramic. It has got tiny salt um, crystals in there. Ordinary salt is fine. Just get the fine variety. And the idea is that you breathe air through the salt crystals and microparticles of the salt gets into your lungs and helps kind of disinfect and dry up mucus. Um, And that can keep your lungs fairly clear and it might even help you cut down on your your, your inhaler use. So um, the only way really of knowing, unfortunately, is to stop taking it and see do the cramps go away. Okay, Pat has a frozen shoulder that she describes as being extremely painful. She's not on medication at the moment. She did get injections, but uh, no real relief. Uh, The injections, she got about four weeks out of the injections, but that was it. Frozen shoulder. Very difficult one, Patricia, and can last a long time. Um, It takes a long time to heal. Basically, it is tendonitis. So the tendons um, in the shoulder have become extremely inflamed and the idea is then that you can't lift your um, arm above a certain level without having excruciating pain. And um, truthfully, like there are no natural supplements really that will fix that overnight. I mean, the the normal approach is to do something anti-inflammatory. Taking like, for example, turmeric extract is very good. The fish oils can work well sometimes, but it is a slow recovery, even with taking those natural supplements. There is a supplement, um, homeopathic supplement called Rutagrav, G-R-U-T-A-G-R-A-V. That can help for some people with tendonitis, but again, it's a bit hit and miss. 
And I think really the best route to go is to find yourself a good physical therapist or a good chiropractor that has worked with people with frozen shoulders in the past. And um, and that's really the best way to go because, you know, if there's nerves trapped and everything, mm. having it worked on can help. Yeah, it sounds really, really painful. Jar is in pain with arthritis, but just in an index finger only. Can you get arthritis confined like that? You can, I suppose. Yeah. She says very painful. Any yeah. suggestions? When you see it in a finger, like you, you would think could be gouty. You know, gout yeah. typically occurs in the fingers and particularly um, the thumb and the index finger. So gout is a buildup of uric acid that has crystallized and deposited on the joint. So the best thing for that is a combination of something like turmeric and cherry juice. The cherry juice helps to clear uric acid from the blood. So it will, you know, stop depositing it in the joints. And the turmeric is a very good natural anti-inflammatory. Nettle is a great one for cleansing the blood. And Terra Nova do a product that has got cherry. Um, it has to be the sour cherry, by the way. Terry, cherry, turmeric and nettle in it. So if you feel it's gouty, try that. And the other thing as well, of course, arthritis is always going to occur in a place that's had more wear and tear. So if you've been doing a lot of writing, for example, with that hand or anything repetitive with that finger, it's more likely to get the um, arthritis in it. And we are getting incredible feedback here from a supplement from uh, Gal Vitamins, which are an Irish-based company, and it's called UC2 Cartilage. And it's a combination of cartilage and turmeric. And as I said, we are getting incredible feedback on that. So that could be something to Great. try. Great. There's nothing like the feedback of some people going out and actually trying it, and it works. Hi, Patricia. Could you ask Anne-Lise about a shampoo that she mentioned last week? I missed it. Uh, I've suffered with very dry skin in my ears and thinking it could be because of the shampoo I've been using. Yeah, so any shampoo that has sodium laurel sulfate in it, Patricia, will be problematic for people who've got an allergy to sodium laurel sulfate. And I see it all the time. It's very simple just to switch um, to uh, any shampoo that you'll get in a health shop that doesn't have the sodium laurel sulfate will do the job. If it doesn't clear up, it's possible that it's maybe more fungal. So using... um, there, there's a very good shampoo. The Vogel do a neem shampoo that is very good. There's little to no chemicals in that. And also there's a shampoo by a company called Hope's Relief. It's quite expensive. But for anyone who's got psoriasis or very bad dermatitis or fungal scalp um, going down into the ears as well, that would work. Um, the thing would be to make sure when you're washing your hair, give your ears a good rinse. Okay. And the last thing I would suggest then is grapefruit seed extract if you believe it's fungal, which is kind of dandruffy. Then you could um, dampen a cat- cotton ball and put on some grapefruit seed extract liquid onto it and just rub it around the ears and that will clear it up. Hi, uh, Annelise. Can cholesterol tablets upset your sleep pattern? Yeah, do you know what, Patricia? There's so many side effects to all medications that that definitely can be one. But it's an interesting one because I do notice um, that a lot with people. So it's a question I ask of my customers if they say they've developed a sleeping problem is do you take your cholesterol tablet at night? And I then suggest that maybe they try taking it in the morning. And um, if that solves the problem, fantastic. And if not, you can try a natural alternative. The one that we um, find works the best is one um, that has got red rice yeast extract in it. So it's the yeast that grows on red rice and it produces a chemical very similar to what's found in the drug. And it does exactly the same thing pharmacologically as the drug 
but because it comes from a natural product, it seems to be better tolerated. And the one we sell a lot of it is called Cardio K. Yeah, and we've heard from a lot of our listeners who, for whatever reason, couldn't tolerate a statin, finding the Cardio K reduced their cholesterol, which is so this it's it does seem to work for a lot of people. Hi, Annalise. I have uh, bronchitis. I have it now about uh, I had it about a month ago, and now it's back. What would you suggest? So bron- bronchitis is where you get inflammation of the bronchioles in the in the lungs. Um, typically, you'd have a lot of sort of wheezing or pain in the chest, maybe mucus production. Sometimes also. Um, you can get a chest infection from it if the mucus becomes infected. So I suppose the two things I would suggest would be the Dr. Claire Mucotone. And that's good not just for bronchitis, but it's good for anything um, to do with mucus buildup in the chest or anything in the chest or sinus. And I would take that three times a day, five mils. And the other thing then that could be good there would be um, the salt pipe again. The salt helps to kind of clear the airways and get rid of mucus. So um, it can help with bronchitis, but it can also help with asthma or anything else that causes buildup of mucus in the lungs. And then the last thing I'd suggest would be that if it's something that you've just developed recently, have a look and see what has changed in your life. Have you uh, maybe moved into a different house or is there a damp environment that you're going into? Is it possible that you're reacting in an allergic way to something? Um, Even sometimes it could be hay fever related, Patricia where people are actually reacting to something and therefore the chest is producing mucus as a kind of a defence mechanism and that's causing the bronchitis. Okay, hi Annalise. What would you recommend for tired aches in my legs? Sometimes it can be painful. I could climb Mount Everest for you, but the minute I sit or lie down, these aches begin. So there's a number of different things, I suppose, Patricia, that would be um, would be contributing to that now vitamin d is one of the most important ones i think that you would often get muscle and bone pain from vitamin d deficiency and i do think in ireland that generally we haven't had such a good summer as we had this year and i think that people really do become deficient from about october onwards because the sun does help us produce vitamin d and we do store some of it but i think those stores are nearly always gone by the end of october so i would certainly take a vitamin d supplement it's really important for the immune system as well and it's also important for women um, for building healthy bone and maintaining healthy bone after menopause as well to prevent osteoporosis so that's the first one to take the second thing then is magnesium so magnesium is very important for uh, muscle contraction and relaxation and if you're deficient which is often quite common because you get magnesium from mainly things like green leafy vegetables. If you're deficient, you will have problems with muscle cramping or restless legs. Some people describe a kind of a crawling sensation under the leg. That could all be to do with magnesium deficiency. So you can either choose to do a rub onto the leg or you can take magnesium orally. But I think if you can take the rub, it's a better thing because I always believe don't take anything even a vitamin, unless you need it. Okay, and a final one from Joan uh, is wondering, would you have any suggestions for vertigo? Uh, she's on something called stem stemital. Uh, it helped for two days, but it's back again uh, with the dizziness. What can I take? And have you any idea how long an attack of vertigo lasts? Har- horrible yeah. sensation. Horrible sensation, Patricia, and very difficult one to, um, to manage as well. So with vertigo, what often has happened... Um, is that a virus has um, affected the canals of the inner ear and caused inflammation of those canals. They're responsible for our sense of balance. 
So you get a feeling of dizziness and nausea like you would be as if you were seasick. And for some people, it really badly affects their balance and they can stumble and fall. So Stematol would be used often because it's a seasickness drug and it can help with the nausea, but not always with the feeling of dizziness. It's a very hard one, Patricia, to be honest, to um, get on top of. There was a wonderful supplement that they used to make before by a company and it was discontinued. But there were things in it like... um, um, there was rosemarinic acid, which was the extract of rosemary. Um, and I think that was very good as a natural anti-inflammatory for the inner ear. You could also try um, the turmeric extract, which is called curcumin, as a natural anti-inflammatory. I would definitely support the immune system with a vitamin D, C, zinc, and probably vitamin A and E as well. So just put in the broad spectrum kind of immune support to try and get the virus rid of the virus from the system and the last thing that used to be in that supplement was something called a a bacteria called lactobacillus salivarius and that would be available in biocult the normal biocult bacteria has that in there and that seems to help restore a good environment within the inner ear and the last thing I'd mention then would be a herb called plantago which is very good for anything to do with the inner ear. You'll buy it in any health shop. It mostly comes in tincture form, and you can add that to that that whole co- cocktail yeah. there. It used to be great, the one we had before. It had everything in the one, but unfortunately... They continue. took it off the market, mm. as they always do. Listen, you're a mine of information, as always, and you'll put it up on the re- on the I'll your website. I'll put it up on the website and on Facebook, Patricia. OK, healthhubstore.com, as heard on the radio. We'll talk to you next week, Annelise. Thanks, Thank Patricia. you for Have that. Uh, bye-bye. You too. And Annelise works at the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolly. Before I go, just a couple of quick texts in. Heidi's wondering, has people started to notice coming through your letterbox, your property tax? Uh, well, look what's coming through the letterbox. It was said back when it was introduced we was, we was that it would go up and up and that's what it's doing. We set a precedent by going along with it. House prices of course have risen over the years when we bought or built our homes and now because they're worth more, guess what? We've been asked to pay more. I'm asking how many times do we have to keep paying taxes on our houses? It is so wrong from so many points of view. We need to start objecting to these tax hikes. That this, uh, th- that said, I have another point I'd like to make. We here in West Cork have no railway stations. They were taken away from us back in the 60s, but I see at the weekend up in Dublin, they opened a new station and only 2k from another station. It is outrageous who makes these decisions. Very annoyed indeed. And Phil in Mallow was on to us to say, Hi Patricia, listening to your comments, read the bonus payments. I think people, everyone, was stretched to the limits during this pandemic. I, for example, myself, I'm a nana in my 70s. I had to homeschool four grandchildren and provide extra meals every day while their parents had to go out to work. Nobody else to look after them so all four came to my house. I crawled into bed every single night absolutely exhausted. There were parents also frazzled with children running around the tables and parents trying to work from home at the same time. I don't think anyone enjoyed the extra load. So why single out one group? said Phil from Mallow. Thank you, uh, Phil. Very well put. And so many others, I have to say, are kind of summed up so well in Phil's comment. So many other people today are saying the same thing. Why and why are we pitting one worker against another worker? Everyone in their own way. Some may feel and many did work harder than others, but everyone at the everybody, as Phil says, and she puts it in big, big writing, 
capital letters. Everyone was stretched to the uh, limit. So why, you know, that's why I think one of the ideas of the bank holiday, I think is good because everybody will benefit uh, from that. Thank you for that, uh, Phil, and hope you're keeping well. And Eugene says, could they not design and give and mint a medal and give a medal to all the frontline staff in hospitals. Eugene says he'd go right across the board, everyone from the porters that you meet, to the cleaning staff, to the people that make the meals, to the nurses, to the healthcare assistants, to the top doctors, consultants, anyone who worked in a hospital setting during COVID would get one of these medals. Would that not do? Now, I don't know how that would go down with the nurses and the doctors' unions, but it is a suggestion from uh, Eugene rather than try to give 10 days holidays. Okay, that's where we have to leave it for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara back in the hot seat producing the programme. And Nick Richards is back. He's at two weeks off. So it'd be nice to Nick this afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 at the Lumpet Trish Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.